Hello, this is Anna Althaus, your podcaster, your blogger, and I don't usually know what I'm going to title the episode until after I record it, but I know today I'm going to call it Weasels and Chainsaws Distracted Me, because there was something I needed to get to, and before I got to it, I had to write about weasels, so to speak, and chainsaws. I don't know. I have a certain way that the topics come up and, you know, float to the surface of my mind, of my screen, and get written about. And it's a natural process that I've been doing every day for more than 17 years. So this is just the way it happened. I didn't try to forefront weasels and chainsaws so that I wouldn't get to Biden's speech last night. It just happened. The weasels and the chainsaws made their presence real in the screen of the blog before I could see my way to writing about the, uh, using the transcript of the Biden speech from last night. So first, weasels, really minks. Are minks weasels? You know, this is a question I researched very early this morning. What time was it? It was 4, 4.39 a.m. At 4.39 a.m., I actually looked into the question of whether minks and ferrets were weasels. And uh, you'll see why all of this happens. It's actually COVID-related, and it's serious. There's uh, a, a, a mutation in the COVID virus that is present in minks in Denmark, so they're killing all their minks. Denmark will kill its 15 million caged minks and not save the furs because it's found a mutated version of the coronavirus. This is from AP, quote, the coronavirus evolves. And to date, there is no evidence that any of the mutations pose an increased danger to people. But Danish authorities were not taking any chances. Instead of waiting for evidence, it is better to act quickly, said Tyra Grove Kraus, head department at Staten. Institute, Staten's Serum Institute, a government agency um, that maps the spread of the coronavirus in Denmark. And I repeated that um, saying that she came out with, instead of waiting for evidence, it is better to act quickly. See, it's the opposite of look before you leap. Don't look before you leap. He who, another uh, a traditional phrase for that is, he who hesitates is lost. He who hesitates is lost. And obviously it's diametrically opposed to look before you leap. But, uh, you know, if uh, something could be terribly devastating, uh, waiting to see if it is when you could take an action that would eliminate the risk makes sense to act without the evidence. The evidence that you have is that there is a mutation. Now, on top of that, you might think, I don't like the existence of 15 million caged minks in Denmark. By the way, you might wonder, how many people are there in Denmark? I looked it up. There are 5.8 million people So in Denmark. So it's about three minks per person. They're all in cages. We're talking about minks in cages. That's why it will be easy to kill them. They're already trapped. They're being raised, farmed for fur, for the fur trade. So anyway, I think instead of waiting for evidence, it is better to act quickly is a scary adage, but probably the right attitude for this specific problem. I wouldn't, I wouldn't use that adage as my rule of thumb generally, but there may be some situations where 
it's better to act than to wait for more evidence. Wait for any evidence at all? Should we just be acting and doing things all the time before seeing if there's any reason to do anything? Well, it's, it's it, in the specific mink mutated virus, maybe kill all the minks is, is the best answer because they really shouldn't have been raising the, am I saying that because I think they really shouldn't have been farming minks in the first place? And so this is a chance to get rid of the mink business and end fur, end fur. That was something a lot of people wanted to do anyway. But what else are you gonna do? You can't individually test 15 million Danish minks and wait for the results. Quote, uh, so how about the fur? Can we save the fur? From the article, quote, the pelts of the mink will be destroyed, and Danish fur farmers have said the call, which is estimated to cost up to 5 billion kroner, $785 million, may spell the end of the industry in the country. So some people might think, well, that was something that ought to have been done anyway. So here's a, here's a chance, you know, just like uh, the coronavirus lockdown is a chance to get started on the Green New Deal less, do less, do as little as possible, only do what's absolutely necessary. So the uh, coronavirus can be a head start or a, a huge leap into doing something that you already want to get done. See, that makes a lot of things dangerous and it makes us suspicious that the things we're asked to do in the name of coronavirus are augmented. The, the decision to ask us to do these things has been augmented by some other goal that they like. And what are those other goals? Well, there's endless room for conspiracy theories. You know, they want to control you. They want to cut you off from your friends. They want to keep you at home. I don't believe that stuff. I'm just observing that there is a very ripe opportunity for conspiracy theories. But this idea, we have to kill all the minks and can't wait for more evidence is part of that that we think mink farming should be ended anyway, or uh, it's not really worth saving, and if we can get a benefit, if there's some other benefit that we hope to get, like controlling the um, mutated coronavirus, then we're gonna just grab for that, leap right for that, because we kinda wanna destroy the mink farming business anyway. And I said, speaking of weasels, the New York Times reports a nasal spray that blocks the absorption of COVID-19 virus has completely protected ferrets it was tested on, according to a small study released on Thursday by an international team of scientists. It's the animals, I said, it's the animals that might infect us that are also useful to us. They're useful for testing. Now the nasal spray science is interesting. The spray attacks the virus directly. This is quoting from the article. The spray attacks the virus directly. In other words, you've just got that spray in your nose and when the virus goes up your nose, the spray attacks the virus right there as the spray. It doesn't become part of your body or cause your body to produce something that makes it immune or anything like that. The uh, virus comes into contact with the spray that's in your nose. And quote, it contains a lipopeptide, a cholesterol particle linked to a chain of amino acids, the building blocks of protein. This particular lipopeptide exactly matches a stretch of amino acids in the spike protein of the virus. 
which the pathogen uses to attach to a human airway or lung cell. Before a virus can inject its RNA into a cell, the spike must effectively unzip, exposing two chains of amino acids in order to fuse to the cell wall. As the spike zips back up to complete the process, the lipopeptide in the spray inserts itself, latching onto one of the spike's amino acid chains and preventing the virus from attaching. It's like you're zipping a zipper, but you put another zipper inside so the two sides cannot meet, said Matteo Poroto, a microbiologist at Columbia University and one of the paper's authors. And I thought that was all very interesting, but I added a little postscript. Are minks and ferrets weasels? Because I had used that transition, speaking of weasels, right? I was talking about minks, and I was about to talk about ferrets, and I linked them together like a zipper inside a zipper by referring to weasels. Are minks and ferrets weasels? Speaking of weasels. Well, they're all in the same genus, Mustella, and the family Mustelidae or mustelids, which also includes badgers, otters, and wolverines, is referred to as the weasel family. I chose to bring in weasels because weasels is one of those words that just feels funny. A phenomenon I examine in some detail here in 2006, replete with a weasel's wit rip my flesh image, you know, the Mothers of Invention uh, album cover. Weasels would rip my flesh. And also, weasels are one of the few animals that have their own tag here on the Alt House blog. I can't have a tag for every animal, certainly not minks or ferrets. Remember the time uh, Rudolph Giuliani, talking, uh, talking to a guy obsessed with keeping ferrets as pets, said this excessive concern with little weasels is a sickness. So notice how Giuliani knew what was funny. In other words, the guy was interested in ferrets. And... Giuliani didn't say your excessive concern with ferrets is a sickness. He changed from ferrets to weasels. This excessive concern with little weasels is a sickness. And it was that shift to weasels that really made it uh, funny. And uh, I was interested in going back to 2006 to see uh, this uh, idea of, uh, oh, it's 2007. I, I marked that wrong. Also, the bell that went off is the timer that I was setting fulfilling my bathtub. I, I'm going to go take a bath, and if I don't go soon, the bathtub might overflow. So it takes 15 minutes, can you believe it, to fill up my bathtub. It's a big bathtub. And so um, I'm doing a little of the podcast, and I stop and take a, a bath, and then I'm going to come back. You'll notice the difference. I'll be very, very clean. You'll notice how clean it will be after this little segment ends. But I just wanted, and I know I have a little bit of room to maneuver with overfilling the bathtub. But uh, if I go back to 2007, which I linked to, it was a post called When One Word is Funnier Than Another. And I had already written a post about how the word naked is funnier than nude. And I was trying to find some other examples, and I found a Wikipedia heading, uh, a Wikipedia article, Inherently Funny Words. Quote, in Neil Simon's play, The Sunshine Boys, a character says, words with a K in it are funny. Alka-Seltzer is funny. Chicken is funny. Pickle is funny. All with a K. L's are not funny. M's are not funny. And so then uh, 
there was, uh, in an, let's see, uh, in an article in The New Yorker published in 1948, H.L. Mencken argues that K words are funny. K, for some occult reason, has always appealed to the oafish risibles of the American plain people, and its presence in the names of many places has helped to make them joke towns. For example, Kankakee, Kalamazoo, Hoboken, Hohokus, Yonkers, Squeedunk, and Brooklyn. In the Simpsons episode, Homie the Clown, Krusty the Cr Clown tells Homer during a lesson at his clown college, memorize these funny place names, Walla Walla, Keokuk, Cucamonga, Seattle. Upon hearing the word Seattle, Homer bursts into laughter. In another episode, Krusty the Clown paralyzes his vocal, vocal cords when he tries to cram in too many comedy Ks. <laughs> and now I better go. I'll come back. I have a little more to this article that I want to read. Remember, there's also chainsaws, and then we can go through the whole uh, Biden speech, plus many. Okay, I'm back. I'm much cleaner than before. And to continue this discussion of the comedy Ks, notice that naked, unlike nude, has a K. So that makes it funnier. Here's another quote from that Wikipedia article, Dave Barry's 1991 book, Dave Barry Talks Back, reprints a column on linguistic humor. He cites the phrases, Richard Nixon wearing a necktie with, he contrasts the phrase, phrases, Richard Nixon wearing a necktie with <laughs> Richard Nixon wearing a neck weasel. And scientists have discovered a 23rd moon orbiting Jupiter with scientists have discovered a giant weasel orbiting Jupiter. Dave Barry concludes that weasel is a very funny word. You can improve the humor value of almost any situation by injecting a weasel into it. And I said back then in 07, I don't remember reading that, but once... On throwing out the trash, I felt moved to say and got a big laugh, I don't want the weasels to get it. The normal thing to say was raccoons, which doesn't have a K, which does have a K sound. Uh, and that either goes to show you just how funny the word weasels is, or it's not about the word at all, but the fact that there are no weasels trying to break into the trash cans, and there are raccoons. Um, hmm. and that, that old post goes on longer and I could entertain you quite a bit if I kept reading what's there, but go to the blog, click on the links and you'll see that if you'd like. By the way, bonus fact, in the UK, the term weasel only refers to the smallest species of weasel, which is called the least weasel. So the name of this particular weasel is the least weasel weasel. I put up a picture of it. It's actually pretty cute. So I don't think of weasels as being too cute, but, uh, but the least weasel and the only weasel, if you talk like the English, is the least weasel. So the second post I put up was Chainsaw Gordy, which is the name of a segment of a TV show I like, Wisconsin Life, which is, uh, I think it's public TV, Wisconsin public TV. Um, and each episode has maybe five segments to it and is about just something some people in Wisconsin are doing. So the segment I watched last night uh, from season seven, season seven, episode nine, had a thing about a young boy who was crazy for crocheting and another thing about women who hiked together. And um, 
I can't remember the other ones, but uh, my favorite segment was Chainsaw Gordy, and it was a guy that collected chainsaws. So it wasn't um, about somebody who uses a chainsaw to make sculptures out using a chainsaw, like on an old tree stump. You know how you can do that, make it into a bear or something, or a weasel, a badger. And no, what what he did, he was just collecting chainsaws, which he could buy, I guess, at uh, estate sales or what do you call them, yard sales, garage sales, and they maybe cost uh, ten dollars or fifty cents or whatever. And the way he displays them in his front yard, you know, out by the highway, is that he takes the chainsaw and uh, pushes it through a, it looks like telephone poles out there. I don't know, upright wood columns, like telephone poles. And then he takes the chainsaw and pushes it directly through, so then it's embedded, sticking, at, sticking through the columnar wood. And maybe there's like 10 of them in each column. And then there's 10 or 20 columns, all with chainsaws stuck through them. Looks pretty cool, and Chainsaw Gordy is quite uh, quite pleased and uh, jovial and relaxed about what he's doing, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but the actual <coughs> display that he has looks pretty cool. Now, you can see that I've got a little bit of a dog issue. i got to let the dog out, so hang on a second. Okay, back from letting the dog out. Uh, the next post is the big one that's titled Weasels and Chainsaws Distracted Me from Getting to the Obvious First Thing I Feel I'm Supposed to Blog This Morning. That's how dull it is. Biden tottered out onto the national stage last night and said some words. I was asleep, so good for him. The old man stayed up late. Or got up early, maybe. Haha, ha, what was it, 11 p.m.? You know, sometimes I go to bed early enough that I could wake up at 11 p.m. and start the day at 11 p.m. I try not to let that happen, but I know how it could happen. You know, they were teasing all night that Biden was going to come out and speak, and they didn't even put up a specific time. So I actually think it's rational to guess that um, he was he was sleeping. He was taking his night's sleep, and he was going to get up fresh for a morning that started at 11 p.m. And I'm saying that because I'm old too. I'm not as old as him, but I'm old, and I understand the way time works for the ancient. So I'll just read the transcript. I didn't watch it. You know, yesterday I know I talked in the podcast about how I watched Trump in real time, and then the next day I read it in the transcript, and how the effect that it had on me was very different. The the live, when you watch live or on video, when you watch the speaker speak and you hear his voice and you look at him, you get a much more emotional feeling than you get from the transcript. The transcript gives a very different impression. This is something appellate courts often write about, how they only have the cold record, so they don't have the same ability to judge the witnesses that they're only reading in transcript. But I like the transcript in part because I can, because it's more bloggable. I can copy and paste, and I can focus on the language. Um, but also because I like looking at it with a cool eye. But uh, I, I do find Trump a little irresistible to watch. Some people are horrified by him, but I do find his physical appearance and sound compelling. Maybe 
not always in a positive way, but Biden just um, Biden just feels tedious to me waiting for him to, he's, it's obvious that he's just reading something someone else wrote. So what, what is the point of this exercise? I'm not seeing words coming out of the person's brain. And frankly, I did, after writing this post, try to watch the video of Biden, and I, I couldn't put up with it. It seemed like, what, was he eating a lozenge? Was he sucking on a lozenge while speaking? Because that's so, that is not cool. Anyway, so we go to the transcript, and I'll, I'm going to have excerpts and comments as I go along. So, quote, Good evening, my fellow Americans. We don't have a final declaration of victory yet, but the numbers tell us it's clear. They tell us a clear and convincing story. We're going to win this race. And I said, so he came out not to prematurely declare victory, but to tell us he sees it in the future. He uses the legal phrase clear and convincing, which is a standard of proof, which is the standard of proof that's more than preponderance of the evidence and less than beyond a reasonable doubt. He's assessing evidence and essentially asserting that if he had to decide whether he'd won based on the evidence before us right now, he'd say he did. And that he's telling us this opinion because the standard clear and convincing is good enough for the purpose of when it's a good idea to come out on the national stage and assert your opinion. The evidence is still dribbling in, however, so he could have waited. There must be some political advantage to claiming the stage and expecting us to listen to his prediction. I'm just guessing the reasoning has something to do with its being Friday. We need something semi-tangible to end election week. Quote, and what's becoming clear each hour is that a record number of Americans of all races, faiths, religions chose change over more of the same. They've given us a mandate for action on COVID, the economy, climate change, systemic racism. And I said, oh, now that's a stretch. He's barely won, if indeed he's won. We still don't know. But if he's won, he wants you to know that there's the mysterious thing called a mandate. And he specifies the components of the mandate. A mandate for action on COVID, the economy, climate change, and systemic racism. Wasn't it more of a vote just to be rid of Donald Trump, but that's the claim. The four elements of what we supposedly want do something about COVID, the economy, climate change, and systemic racism. I say we, but I see that Biden called us they. They've given us a mandate for action on COVID, the economy, climate change, systemic racism. They've given us. I take it us is the Democratic Party and they is the people. They, the people of the United States of America. You know the famous phrase, they, the people. Quote, they made it clear they want the country to come together and not continue to pull apart. And I said, yeah, he meant to they us. And he pictures us agglomerating into a more perfectly manipulable blob. Don't pull apart. Get together so that we, the Democratic Party, can take action on the big four, COVID, the economy, climate change, systemic racism. I'll call it sex to be snazzy. <laughs> it's, I, I made an acronym, COVID, the economy, climate change, and systemic racism, and I, it's spelled C-E-C-S. And I swear to you, I did not think about how to pronounce it. 
until I just tried a few seconds ago to say it. And I tried to say C-E-C-S. You try to say C-E-C-S. I, I just innocently, innocently tried to pronounce C-E-C-S and it came out sex, sex. By the way, there's a K sound in there, so it's funny, isn't it? Sex. <laughs> when you think about sex now, how dreary, how unbelievably dreary it is to use the word sex <laughs> to mean COVID, the economy, climate change, and systemic racism, Blah. all the bad stuff, except the economy. The economy's good, except when it's bad. Quote, the people spoke, more than 74 million Americans, and they spoke loudly for our ticket. And I said it was so loud, we're still straining to hear it after four days. Quote, look, we both know tensions are high. They can be high after a tough election. The one like we've had, but we need to remember we have to remain calm, patient. Let the process work out as we count the votes. In America, we hold strong views. We have strong disagreements, and that's okay. Strong disagreements are inevitable in a democracy, and strong disagreements are healthy. They're a sign of a vigorous debate, of deeply held views. But we have to remember the purpose of our politics isn't total, unrelenting, unending warfare. No, the purpose of our politics, the work of the nation, isn't to fan the flames of conflict, but to solve problems, to guarantee justice, to get to improve the lives of our people. We may be opponents, but we're not enemies. We're Americans. No matter who you voted for, I'm certain of one thing. The vast majority of them, almost 150 million Americans who voted they want to get the vitriol out of our politics. And I said, that would sit better with me if he hadn't begun and ended his campaign by portraying President Trump as a racist. I think Biden fanned the flames and relied on dividing us. All winners, can, all winners claim to represent all the people. It's a convention to say, that af to say that after you've won or after the votes are in and you're perceiving victory just out there in the near future but I have no confidence that the Democratic Party will use whatever power it's managed to scrape together to unite this country. Let them prove it. I'll wait. I'll wait while they prove it with clear and convincing evidence. Quote, we're certainly not going to agree on a lot of issues, but at least we can agree to be civil with one another. Close quote. And that's where you get my civility bullshit tag. You're only calling for civility to get your opponents to stand down. Civility is a value that comes and goes, and I've been saying for years that calls for civility, at least in politics, calls for civility are always bullshit. You hear them from people who are advantaged by getting the other side to stop, stop crying out, stop being rude, stop being pushy. When it's your turn to do those things, you go ahead and do them. You don't talk about civility at all. You pull out civility when you want the other side to stop doing that. And so I never, uh, uh, to me, the word civil is just a red flag. And if it's coming from a 
someone in politics or it's in a political discussion, it's always bullshit. And I say that despite the fact that I really love civility and I would love civil politics. It's just that I've seen these characters. I don't go into politics. So I'm not a political person. I'm pretty apolitical. My brand is cruel neutrality. And um, I think the people who do go into politics are the ones who want to alternate between telling the other side to stand down and be civil and going ahead and being incivil whenever it serves their interest. I've just seen it too many times. I'm not going to, I'm not going to fall for the call for civility, even though I especially like civility. And I don't think civility is bullshit, but I think calls for civility are bullshit. Quote. Oh, yeah, quote. We have to put the anger and the demonization behind us, close quote. And I said, now that you've been successful at demonizing Trump, you want the demonization to stop. We have to do it. You should have set an example when you risked something in declining to demonize. Now it's in your interest to put demonization off limits. Talk about things that are predictable. Quote, it's time for us to come together as a nation to heal. We don't have any more time to waste on partisan warfare, close quote. You haven't won yet. This is me. You haven't won yet, and I think there's some partisan warfare left. You're not nonpartisan for saying, let's stop fighting at the point when you are ahead. And that post went up at 6, 6.12 a.m. So obviously... Since then, the uh, New York Times and other outlets have, have put up the, the uh, Biden beats Trump headline, put a picture of that up on the blog. That went up at around um, 10 this morning, 10, my times are all central time, around 10 this morning, uh, the news, the, the uh, somehow the amount of votes that were in on Pennsylvania were enough that the media decided Biden had, they called Pennsylvania for Biden. And so that put him over the line with 273 electoral votes and he's, he's squeaked by, he's on top, you know, even though the process isn't over. Anyway, um, the next thing I put up was called Sun, Sun, Sun. I went out running to watch the sunrise and the, there were a bunch of young people sitting on the wall watching the sunrise and playing music. At one point, they were playing the Beatles, Here Comes the Sun. So they, they had an appropriate soundtrack queued up, a sunrise soundtrack. And uh, at the point when the sun came over the line of the opposite shore of Lake Mendota, uh, one young woman shouted, oh, my God. And then the group began to shout, son, 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 son. <laughs> it was great. I have video on the, uh, on the blog, and you can click the, click the link, but it has a little bit of music in the background, so I'm not going to put it on the podcast. Now, the uh, sun was first visible to me at 6.42.33, and I started the video at 6.43, Oh, oh, a couple of seconds after the, oh my God, while I was out there, I believed that they'd gotten distracted talking to each other and missed the first break of the sun. But putting the post together, I realized I was standing at a somewhat higher vantage point. So the first actual view of the sun was a few seconds earlier for me 
than it was for them. And I think they did react as soon as they saw the sun. They weren't like, oh, we went out to see the sunrise and then the, the magic moment when the rim of the sun first becomes visible, they didn't notice. And then they looked over, oh, the sun uh, came up when I wasn't paying attention. I was talking about... But I think they did. I think they did react at the point when they saw the sun. But I was just a little deceived by being a few steps up a stairway and having a higher vantage point. And I also just really like that the young people were, are interested in the Beatles and playing the Beatles. Um, well, I hear the dog out on the deck barking, so maybe I better do something about that. So next I have an editor... A, the editors of the Wall Street Journal with something called the presidential end game. And here's a quote from that. The vote, the vote counting in Arizona and Georgia has seemed professional and transparent. The same can't be said for Philadelphia, where the Trump campaign had to go to court so its poll watchers could observe vote counting. Incredibly, Democratic lawyers opposed the Trump re request. This is exactly the wrong way for Democrats to behave, feeding GOP suspicions. The Democratic Pennsylvania Supreme Court also contributed to the mistrust by rewriting state election law to let mailed ballots be counted until November 6th. We warned multiple times that this mess could happen and the U.S. Supreme Court could have helped by intervening. Chief Justice John Roberts refused. But it's also important to note that Pat Toomey, the GOP senator from the Keystone State, says he's seen no evidence of fraud in his state's counting. We've also seen no concrete evidence. The delivery of a batch of votes, all for Mr. Biden at one time, can be explained by the practice of some jurisdictions to divide and report the votes of each candidate at different times. Mr. Trump hates to lose, and no doubt he will fight to the end. But if defeat comes, he will serve himself and his country best by honoring America's democratic traditions and leaving office with dignity. And I said they want a gracious concession after the counting and litigation. No, not, not right away, not just because Biden is now declaring victory or because the media are calling the race for Biden, but after all the counting is done and the litigation has concluded. So the Wall Street Journal editorials want a gracious concession after the counting and litigation, but they never mention how ungracious the Democrats were when Trump won in 2016. Did the Democrats ever concede that Trump won and stand back and acknowledge that he legitimately held the power of the presidency? And yeah, I know that Hillary gave a concession speech, but uh, she, she later even very recently said Trump is an illegitimate president and sugge and suggested, this is the um, Washington Post in an article on September 26, 2019, Hillary Clinton dismissed President Trump as an illegitimate president and suggested that he knows that he stole the presidential election in, in a CBS News interview. Um, Stole the election, he's still saying he stole the election, even after the Mueller report. All of the years of the Trump presidency, they've acted like he was an illegitimate president. So whether they at any point said, uh, uh, gave some technical speech that had the idea of concession in it, it wasn't a real concession because they proceeded to not just oppose, be the opposition party, but to undermine the validity of the victory that he actually achieved.
to make up this uh, scandal, this Russian scandal, that was really nothing, and to waste all our time on it for so long. I mean, I guess it, it's, it's as if everything is fair in trying to trip up your, the opponent party's president. So to say, oh, Trump should leave office with dignity, Trump should just uh, step down and go away, well, they didn't really do that for Trump. Uh, I mean, I still think there should be a peaceful transition and Trump should be an opponent from the outside, not uh, detracting from the quality of the vote if, in fact, it does check out through the counting process and the litigation. But uh, uh, if he doesn't, it'll just be turning the tables on the Democrats. Why? I don't want the rules to be different for one party or the other. I mean, you could also say two wrongs don't make them right. And when will it ever stop? Who will be the first to, uh, to not hit back? And yet, who was saying just recently we were talking about tit for tat? Tit for tat is the best strategy. Um, and I think Trump tends to be someone who hits back, who just won't step down, and he waits for the other side to attack him, and he attacks back. I think that's his style. So, um, you know, he'll, uh, he'll get, his, uh, he'll get her, his knocks, and he won't have anything else to do other than to speak uh, in the media, to have whatever media operation he sets up and to attack the Democrats from there. Uh, that's what I expect him to do and put all of his energy into that. We'll see how that works out. But the idea that, oh, he should just go away and be dignified and just disappear. He, he's had his time. He should concede, get out of there, and then shut up and act like a, like a good ex-president and be dignified. Now, that is sort of a tradition with ex-presidents that they they don't uh, they don't talk too much and they don't try to control anything i don't think he's going to do that and the way they treated him it's hard to uh, hard to blame him for wanting to do something else but uh, well, on a higher level he should do what's best for for us the people not for himself this was a funny thing that i saw in um, cbs news um Trump, Trump election press conference held at Four Seasons Total Landscaping in Philadelphia. And the Four Seasons Hotel had to put out a tweet to clarify President Trump's press conference will not be held at Four Seasons Hotel Philadelphia. It will be held at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. No relation to the hotel. Why is uh, Trump having a press conference at Four Seasons Total Landscaping? Well... We'll see. It sounds like, uh, and not the Four Seasons Hotel. Wouldn't you think that he belonged in the luxury hotel and not in this um, small business? Four Seasons Total Landscaping. Uh, maybe it, it shows his alignment with the American uh, deplorables, as we could call them. So I bought this book, um, Dictionary of Catchphrases by Eric Partridge, because I wanted to read about um, the phrase, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I don't know why I just started thinking about that today, but it's an expression that means that's the way things go or that's fate. Uh, and there's two expressions that are like this that are very common. That's the way the cookie crumbles and that's the way the ball bounces. Well, people still say, oh, come on. I already let you out once. Let him out, let him in, and now he's ready to go back out. Okay. So... 
um, that's the way, so I bought this book so I could study this expression. That's the way or that's how the cookie crumbles. It's been a frequent catchphrase in the U.S. since the 1950s and in the U.K. since the middle 1960s. In 1975, Professor Emeritus F.E.L. Priestley spoke of the now happily obsolete that's the way the cookie crumbles and referred to the lovely takeoff line in the movie The Apartment. 1960, when Jack Lemmon says, that's the way it crumbles cookie-wise, when he's also der deriding the horrible wise jargon. So the suffix wise was put on words. And he said, that's the way it crumbles cookie-wise. He was making a play on that's the way the cookie crumbles and saying that's the way it, it crumbles cookie-wise. So it was a standard joke back then to change a phrase around and make an adverb out of a noun by adding wise to it, like cookie-wise. That's Instead of that's the way the cookie crumbles, that's the way it crumbles cookie-wise. So he was also making fun of that wise suffix. And in the, um, the one-act play, The Zoo Story by Edward Albee, which was uh, originated in 1960, there is, uh, the phrase appears there. And in this play, two men are talking to each other and the dialogue goes like this. And you have children? Yes, two. Boys? No, girls, both girls. But you wanted boys. Well, naturally, every man wants a son, but, but that's the way the cookie crumbles. I, I wasn't going to say that. So it says that he's, the script says he's annoyed. Peter, the, one of the men, is annoyed when Jerry says, that's the way the cookie crumbles. That's the way the cookie crumbles. You had girls. You had two children, they're both girls, but you wanted boys. Well, that's the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> and then uh, to continue with this book, um, catchphrases, Dictionary of Catchphrases, quote, an early instance of its British currency occurs in Patrick Campbell's Come Here Till I Tell You, which is from 1961. Well, that's how the cookie crumbles, I beg your pardon. It's a new American expression from the advertising boys on Madison Avenue, a philosophical comment on disaster. One can also say, that's how the grapefruit squirts, close quote. So this was a format for a joke back in the 1960s. Once you had that's the way the ball bounces and that's the way the cookie crumbles, you could create endless jokes. The only other one I could remember before I lo looked around and came up with this book was the other one that, that's in the book. That's the way the grapefruit squirts. Do you know any others from back when this was a very common way to make a joke? Better yet, can you, looking at our present day fate, make a joke using that pattern? So it's a format for a joke. Nobody made, I didn't, I didn't really get to, too much activity there. People are trying to help me make some jokes, so. Anyway, maybe you enjoyed the little snippet. I've embedded the clip from The Apartment, which is a great movie, and the uh, phrase also appearing in the excellent play, The Zoo Story. Next, I've got a CNN report. Two armed Virginia men were arrested Thursday outside the Philadelphia Convention Center. Two armed Virginia men who were arrested Thursday outside the Philadelphia Convention Center may have believed fake ballots were being counted there. According to our information at this very early stage of investigation, it appears these individuals were operating under the belief 
that fake ballots are being counted at the convention center, a completely unsupported claim, and that belief may have been what drew their attention to Philadelphia. Philadelphia District Attorney's Office spokeswoman Jane Rowe emailed CNN. CNN affiliate KYW had earlier reported that the men were coming to deliver a truck full of fake ballots, citing prosecutors. Antonio LaMata, 61, and Joshua Macias, 42, of both of Chesapeake, Virginia, were arrested Thursday night outside the center on suspicion of carrying handguns in Philadelphia without permits, authorities said. Philadelphia police said they found the men Thursday night after receiving a tip that people with firearms were heading to the Pennsylvania Convention Center in a silver Hummer truck. Close quote. So that's interesting. The original news made it sound like this was a truck full of fake ballots going to the convention center. But then it turned out that it was people who might have been motivated by thinking there were fake ballots in there and then that they also had guns and the arrest is about uh, a gun violation. So I don't know what's going on there. I hope people aren't becoming mentally deranged or excessively emotional and thinking that they need to go show up at the places where the votes are being counted. Votes need to be watched very closely, but people just generally showing up there to uh, contribute to the process aren't helping. So I hope none of that is happening. I have one more post on the blog, and it's, uh, I went over to the Atlantic to see what was in the Atlantic, and I see this by Franklin Foer. Winning was the easy part. Now Joe Biden needs to repair a badly broken country. And the quote is, this is toward the end of the article. He's talking about Biden driving his sons to school after their mother died in a car accident. Quote, as a young widower, he drove them to school, blasting Elton John's crocodile rock from the car radio. Willing normalcy's return. In an effort to heal, he rushed to wrap himself around others in mourning. Like Steven Spielberg's E.T., he seemed to instinctually believe in the healing power of physical connection, even if that intimacy can sometimes feel a bit too close. As the Irish literary critic Fintan O'Toole has written of Biden's grasp, there is something religious in this laying on of hands, it is an act of communion. After the destruction of the Trump era, the nation is desperate for a parental figure to cultivate a renewal amid ruin. Shattered institutions will require an almost irrational faith in healing, close quote. So obviously Biden has gotten into some trouble for being too touchy-feely, uh, hugging, getting up into the hair with his nose and smelling. And this writer, Foer, is making it seem as though that's something from deep within that has to do with the loss of his first wife and their daughter and what's happened, that he's an unusually empathic, empathetic person. Um, but uh, why is all the touching and sniffing done toward females? Is there any picture? of this laying on of hands that is happening with males. So I have a problem thinking that the, centering this in religion, the, the laying on of hands, 
And I think it's strange that Foer is saying that there's something religious in this laying on of hands. The laying on of hands is a religious rite. So the use of that phrase in the first place is trying to characterize it as re religious. I don't know why it doesn't go into some detail about the the religious laying on of hands. You know, just yesterday we were talking about a Kathy Griffin tweet in which she was mocking some women for praying, for holding their hands out. And yet here there's an effort to attribute healing power of a supernatural quality to Biden for the way he grasps young women. And as I say, women and not men, is there any religion like that where the laying on of hands, a ritual is done toward women and not men? Uh, well, I guess there are some things like that. I'm not going to go into that. Sorry about the dog barking. I have a little dog issue here. I just want to say one more thing and then I'll sign off and see if I can uh, do something about the the sound quality in the in this space. But um, he says that we need a, Forrest says we need a parental figure to cultivate renewal amid ruin. Shattered institutions will require an almost irrational faith in healing. Well, if you believe in faith healing, faith is in the healing. You don't need that extra word irrational. We're talking about faith healing. You're talking about faith healing. And so if you're saying we, we need something almost irrational, he's basically saying, uh, you know, it's, it, it's sort of just weirdly implicitly atheist. Uh, I don't really have any religious faith but we need something like religious faith if we're going to get through this. So we kind of need to be irrational. He's kind of wishing for irrationality and a belief that Biden has a laying on of hands power. And, and yet, even though, and he doesn't say anything about this, Biden has said he, he, he understands things better than he used to, and he knows he, he ought not to be doing that. And what about the Me Too movement? Whatever happened to that? What about the renewal that we once needed uh, that was expressed in the Me Too movement? It's as if that's all gone out the window and now we're back to some uh, strange hocus pocus about uh, miraculous uh, healing. You know, it's a throwback to the uh, Obama era, isn't it? This idea people sort of attributed a supernatural Jesus-like power to Obama. And, and thought that he would heal us, those hope posters and so on, this infusion of a relig religious quality in the leader. You know, for all the criticism of Trump that he's a demagogue uh, and that he's like a, um, a dictator, this is the way you talk about an actual dictator to attribute to him a sort of miraculous power and to demand of the people that they will find salvation by irrationally believing in it. Why is he saying that? Why does that seem good? It's like, speaking of irrationality, people lose their mind when their side wins. They lose their mind in a different way when their side loses. Whatever happened to irrationality? Why isn't rationality good? He's calling for irrationality, that that will save us. He brings up E.T. You know, E.T. is a kind of... Uh, uh, religion substitute sort of a character. Remember, he had that healing finger. Bring E.T. E.T. over here to touch us and make us all well. <laughs>